The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. The invitation is to find a posture that's supportive for a balance of relaxation and alertness. And if you haven't already, to turn off anything that might beep, buzz, alert, or otherwise interrupt you, um, if you can. And if you can't, to make the determination to include it in your meditation. You'll be starting with a couple of slower, more intentional breaths, a little bit deeper. On the exhale, inviting the body to relax. And then setting the intention. That awareness will be at the forefront for our time together in meditation. Noticing any places of remaining tension in the body. And inviting the whole body to soften. Noticing any areas of distraction or tension in the mind. And inviting, may this heart and mind relax. If it's supportive to start with an anchor of attention, the invitation is to settle, settle your awareness on the breath, body sensations or sounds. Allowing the mind, heart and body to rest in this moment. Noticing the details of each arising Noticing the details of each breath or sound fading away. If the mind feels stabilized, the attention feels stabilized, 
the invitation is to widen the scope of awareness. Am I aware? What's obvious? Turning the attention to whatever is predominant for as long as it persists. And then either returning to your primary anchor of attention or to the flow of now moving through awareness this moment here If the mind wanders, noticing, celebrating this return to awareness as a moment of mindfulness, just as it is. No need to pull the mind around, just being, noticing, aware. What's this moment like?
In the last remaining moments of this meditation, the invitation is to notice the quality atmosphere of the mind, awareness. Is it settled or scattered? contracted or spacious. Present. Or prone to veering off. Just noticing. Noticing the knowing, the process of the knowing. But the mood of the mind and heart right now. Thank you for your practice. Before we move into the next section of our morning together, the invitation is to spend just a moment sending a little pulse of goodwill, friendliness, kindness to your fellow meditators in this Zoom room, seen or unseen. If you'd like to turn on your video to give and receive metta, you can. There's no need to if you don't want to. But just taking a moment to appreciate your companions in the practice. Trusting that as you are sending that moment of metta, you are also receiving it. Thank you. We're going to take a very short break so I can get a warm up on tea. My throat is scratchy today, and to give the Dharma talk, I'm going to need a bit more heat. But so feel free to stretch, wiggle. We'll be back in just a minute or two.
Thanks, everyone. Happy to be with you today. And welcome to those of you who tiptoed into the Zoom room a few minutes late. Warm welcome. Just checking the chat. So Jeannie apologizes for having to leave early. <laughs> um, lovely to be with all of you. So today, I would like to talk about a precondition of Nibbana, the topic Mario Line spoke to last week. There are many preconditions for Nibbana, but and one of the key ones is continuous awareness continuity of awareness. It's fair to say that without some continuity of awareness, awakening won't happen. You have to you have to be present to win, so to speak, right? And even if the highest goal isn't what you're aiming for in your practice, awareness dramatically improves samsara. It really helps speaking from personal experience. So I'm going to talk a little bit about ways of increasing continuity of lucid awareness today. And there are a few foundational conditions for this. First, embodiment is key. So an embodied orientation to what's happening in the moment. It's... Um, a profound difference thinking about meditation versus experiencing it through your body. Sapati samvedati, experiencing through the body, the Pali. The second foundational condition is attuned effort. And that could be a whole Dharma talk or series of Dharma talks in itself. And I may, in fact, do that at some point. I've done versions of it on the 7 a.m. set. For the kind of practice that this group orients towards, the more open, receptive awareness, the bringing real attention to mindfulness of our minds and of all the phenomena in our minds, relaxed, light effort is key. It's more like um, a butterfly wing against a flower petal than it is trying to um, pick the flower, or worse yet, hammer the flower. Yes, it's an image, isn't it? <laughs> so those are the two preconditions. And then um, to notice, notice when awareness arises in your meditation or in your day. And as you begin to notice more and more, it happens more and more. But that too is a process of conditioning, forming a habit, right? So it can be, um, this weaves together with the effort because the effort made to notice while very light conditions the next moment of spontaneous arising of awareness. So that effort made, um, can be like pedaling a bike on a flat path sometimes. Just get the pedals a couple times and coast. And then when you need to move again, you can pedal again. It doesn't mean there's not precision. It doesn't mean there's not intention. But it's not usually a huge pull. Then when awareness starts to emerge spontaneously, it can really be quite beautiful. Like the subtle tapping of a gong, a bell, or a little brightening of the room. To tune in to what that moment feels like. And one of the things that gets in the way of tuning into that is judgment. Okay, Really, really hard to start appreciating the subtlety of mindful awareness arising if I'm busy judging myself that I wasn't mindfully aware the moment before. So even noticing judgment, like, oh, judgment, getting interested in that, 
can also be really helpful. In other words, interest in what arises in the moment, Dhamma Vichaya, is a superpower when it comes to meditation, and for that matter, a lot of other things too. So that'll be most of my focus today in inviting you into more cultivation of continuity. So, inviting continuity, interest forms the invitation. Interest forms the invitation. And I'm using the word interest. You could substitute curiosity, and there are times where the word curiosity is more appropriate. I like interest because it's a little bit more settled back. Honestly, both have been key to my practice, really. These days, relaxed, open awareness tends to just pop up, and having a light, accepting interest in it is all it takes. At other times in my practice and in many people's practices, more of an avid curiosity is where it's at. So both are great. To notice that regardless of how much curiosity there is, that there are basically two kinds. It can be, the first kind can be either that relaxed, open curiosity, like of a loving grandparent, or a receptive yet keen interest but it doesn't have an agenda. It's an open question. What's this moment like? The second kind can be settled back or very keen, but it's really different. It's a deprivation-based or wanting agenda-based curiosity. It's like that kid in the car. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? That energy in meditation, maybe you've noticed, it tends to spin the meditation out, right? Not so helpful. So impatience, or worse yet, a badgering trial attorney who's asking closed question after closed question, leading question after leading question, that's aversive curiosity. Not Not helpful in meditation. So notice, perhaps, the difference between open and closed in your interest. So I'm inviting you to get interested in interest. Get curious about curiosity. That first kind, that openness, is an invitation to more and more awareness. And to say that there are times craving-based curiosity can be helpful as long as you notice it, notice it. Then, if that aversion or that impatience or that greed is observed, it can become food for wisdom, nutriment for wisdom. In fact, I don't know, maybe some of you have had this happen as well. There are stages in meditation where independent of what's being noticed, if the interest is really high, there's just a joy in the noticing, like, oh, greed, or oh, aversion. And rather than school-marming myself about what's happening in my mind, wagging a finger, it's like, oh, so happy to see that. Wow. And in part, that's because if we see it, it's not our filter. It's not running us around, right? So in other words, we can harness whatever is arising towards greater and greater freedom. The obstacles become stepping stones on the path. Or to quote Marcus Aurelius, the obstacles are the path. With that interest in that awareness, pulling the perspective from judgment to observation. It's a really powerful move, Tai Chi move, right? It takes the energy 
of our habit patterns, our endless habit patterns of mind, of greed and aversion, delusion, and converts them to a form of what Sayedo Utejaniya calls gathering information, gathering data, using our intelligence in the meditation practice, which then increases wisdom. More and more wisdom comes. This is part of what Sayadaw Utejaniya calls mature awareness or 50-50 mindfulness, noticing the process that's happening and noticing the attitude or relationship to it. Many teachers also call this 360-degree awareness or 360-degree mindfulness. It includes everything, good, bad, ugly, up, down, sideways, all of it, all of it's included. And this can ripen into noticing cause and effect, noticing our own relationship to reality, and gradually, or sometimes in big spurts, maturing awareness, maturing our own spiritual growth, our hearts, our minds. As I said earlier, it can ripen into noticing everything with enthusiasm, even joy, the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, the unseen, all of it. As I've said many times, the core of Buddhist practice is how we relate to what is happening. In that interest in how we're relating to what's happening, that is turbocharging the practice. It's the superpower. So, interest in the process of knowing, as well as the content, especially in daily life, because you can't leave the content out out in the world, right? That 50-50 mindfulness. Something that's really helpful is practice questions. And Andrea Fella introduced me to these. Um, Sayadu Itejaniya used some of them. And I like to call them Vipassana koans. Vipassana koans. Because these are questions, they don't have a verbal answer, right? They have, they request a response from direct experience. So the first one, am I aware? Notice what happens in your mind as you listen to that question. Internalize it. One thing I love about that question is if you can ask it, or if it's asked of you, guess what? Yeah, the answer is yes, right? The next question that's often helpful is, of what? What are you aware of right now? Probably the fact that I keep talking and talking, right? among other things. Maybe you're aware of how much interest there is or associative memories or moments in your own life, your own practice, or a general emotional valence. That's all the what. And then very related is what's the stance, the mood, the inclination of the heart and mind in relationship to the fact that there's awareness and what you're aware of. So at the moment, my relationship is that I'm interested. I'm interested in this exploration and interested in the little responses I see on the screen. I'm interested in the effect that talking about awareness has on my own awareness. What's the impact for you? What's the relationship stance, mood? The atmosphere or flavor of the experience right now. And then another question that is actually so simple and so profound is, 
Is the heart and mind relaxed or tense right now? Open or closed right now? There's no wrong answer again, but just noticing, just noticing, which So these questions are ones that I've used throughout, off and on throughout my day, throughout my practice for years. And it's fine to invent your own. But Vipassana koans, the point is to point to present moment experience. And in that sense, there is no wrong answer, except if it's a wordy treatise on your thoughts about the answer. The answer is generally either nonverbal or very short right? Sometimes it's an energetic feeling in the body. Sometimes it's a shift in the way that we're relating to the moment. Maybe all of a sudden there's more attention. There's more focus, more relaxation, whatever it is. There's a range of this kind of curiosity and interest. So I'm this Dhamma Vichaya. So I'm going to just speak to a few more qualities that can be helpful. One is playfulness. So this is not just an invitation. It's an active encouragement to be a little bit playful in your meditation. It's okay. At the more settled reaches, the playfulness will go away and just recede into a general interest or wonder. But there are times, let's face it, folks, we all have them where our mind has us wrapped around a telephone pole. It's not going well. There's some kind of story or attitude that's in there that's not so helpful. So going to the body is really helpful in those moments because our bodies are always here. They're always now. And then another move that's really helpful is to bring in a little humor. So one of my teachers, great teacher, Joseph Goldstein, talked about this on, I don't remember if it was a six week or a three month, but it was a long retreat. And he talked about how he related to how much his mind was spending in the past and in the future. And just like stunning how much time. How many cycles of thought were there? So he invented this little, um, two little characters. One was was been, was been, and the other was will be. So was or has been and will be. And he kind of anthropomorphized them. And so he would just notice whenever was and been, was been was there and whether wherever will be was there. And I think it was in the same talk, he was talking about kind of doing Atari with them and having them puff into nothing back into awareness. So Atari dates those of us giving the example and his story. Do you get the idea? It's like bubbles, they pop. One long retreat I sat, and this was many years ago, but man, I was hooked hooked on some kind of resentment about something that someone had done to me. And that's a really unpleasant mind state, really unpleasant. And eventually the mind came up with turning the resentment into a troll and having it march around with smoke coming out of its ears and eventually walk away. That was helpful. A little distance and a little levity, right? We don't have to take our practice that seriously all the time. So humor. And then there's also tuning in to any sense of wonder, any sense of wow. You know, on the one level, seems perfectly normal to be sitting in meditation and maybe it's distracting or maybe it's incredibly settled and pleasant. In either case, in either case, it's kind of amazing we have these minds. I just read somewhere, I think it was Scientific American Mind or something, 
we have more neural synapses, connections in our brains than there are stars in the known universe. Wow. And to think that these millennia of evolution of these fantastic brains can lead to me perseverating about a piece of chocolate in the meditation cushion. That's kind of amazing in a silly way. And that attending to present moment experience can shift into something sometimes quite beautiful or peaceful, or at least present. Wow. And then, as I've talked about, the interest itself. Many years ago, I was at a, a Harvard workshop on conflict resolution, and one of the teachers was so gentle. He would talk about just not understanding where the other side was coming from, and he would cock his head and he would say, how come they're like that? Not in a mean way, but like, why do they do that? Sometimes it can be really helpful to cock your mind to the side and be like, how come the mind's doing that? No judgment, but sincere, honest curiosity, almost childlike. And then the last one I'll talk about is this very relaxed noticing, very relaxed. Just as one of my teachers said, just notice, just notice. It was my mantra for years, actually. Just notice. For example, just noticing craving arising. Could even be craving for a thought, mind state. That can be approached with absolute simplicity. No judgment, no need to move, no need to respond or believe. Just notice, it's a little flip, it's an impulse. No wait. Notice it coming. Notice it shifting and maybe trying to convince you of something and then notice it fading. Just notice. So, as these examples might suggest, sooner or later, noticing what's happening involves noticing the conditioned habit patterns of our minds and hearts, even our bodies. And some of these are really useful learned behaviors, mindfulness of breathing, for example, or this awareness practice we're talking about. In a sense, that's a habit. It's a learned behavior. Super useful. There are other habits like emotionally eating or compulsively checking one's phone or whatever that might not be so great all the time. And enough's enough, really, sometimes. And this is where it's noticed, helpful to notice another series of three things the proximate condition of what's arising, whatever it is. And I'm not talking about digging into family history or deep past, just in this moment, noticing, oh, it's here, whatever the impulse is or the habit is. What was happening right before this? And then the response, the behavior itself, noticing. And then the effect. Noticing any beneficial or unbeneficial effects. This is what allows our system to self-correct. When that starts to happen, often it builds the capacity, that interest in the process, interest in the conditionality builds more capacity to allow what's unhelpful just to come up and leave as impulses in our mind. And to notice the contentment when craving leaves. 
Craving wants to have us believe that the only way to get rid of it is to act on it. You can be much more effective sometimes just to let it be and notice that it goes away all by itself. Eventually, the system self-corrects and learns to avoid unpleasant or non-beneficial effects. And interest builds, harnesses the conditioning and habit-forming learning capacity of the mind in ways that are beneficial. That awareness plus interest builds that continuity. And then this beautiful thing can happen. The curiosity, the interest can start to build on itself and build momentum. Getting interested in the interest, getting interested in awareness. It creates a beneficial feedback loop. So simply asking the question in the moment, where? What's obvious? How is the mind? How am I relating to this? Begins to form this beautiful habit, this beautiful process, this awakening factor. Many, many drops can fill the bucket. Can feel like a strike of a mindfulness bell or the autofocus on a camera sharpening. A subtle brightening of the mind or body. This awareness can feel like a sense of landing more fully in the moment. And even if there's some momentum there, a sense of being immersed in reality. Little tiny drops of this eventually fill a cistern, a stream, a lake, even an ocean. So when in formal meditation or in daily life, using interest and intelligence along with awareness in the moment helps to build continuity, steer the practice towards wisdom. That's why interest is a superpower when it comes to developing continuity of awareness. Thank you for your attention. So, dear Sangha, we have a few minutes for questions, comments. Um, I'm going to leave the recording on unless someone flags me that they would like it paused, in which case I will. Getting feedback from people who can't make it every time that the Q&A is actually really helpful. So if you're shy, you can chat me and I'll read the question privately, anonymously, I should say, or you can just contribute your own awareness and interest to the conversation. So if you're not feeling like speaking, which often happens after these more pointing out talks, the invitation is to notice your mind's relationship to that. Notice how it feels. And if contentment is part of how it feels, trust contentment.
Noticing your awareness and noticing how it feels to hear the bell as I dedicate the merit and the invitation that if you want to stay for a few minutes afterwards, I'll hang out for a little while um, for more informal conversation. No expectation. May our practice here together be a cause and condition for greater continuity of awareness, wisdom, and freedom in our minds and hearts and in all of those we touch. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings know the highest joy of awakening. Thank you, everyone. I'll see some of you next week. Well, thank you, Don. That was very helpful. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Thank you, Don. Thank you, nice Don. to see you.